0: Welcome to the Charbukh Podcast. This is your host, Kushal Mehra. All right, today we are going to be talking about a book. The book is called Retaining Balance the Eternal Way. And I have with me the author of the book, Dr. M.R. Now, MRV. and uh, So this is my first question to you before we start discussing the book. You are a man of many avatars, MRV. So now you are author, advocate, chartered accountant. What's <laughs> up? No, no, I'm,
1: I'm happy being a advocate. That's my profession. Uh, but genetically, I am an economist. I, I have uh, I, economics is my passion. Now, accounting was because I was forced into it, because I no, tha, to a professional course. To ek karna tha, to kar liya tha. Uh, of course, I could have ended up with uh, IIT also. But somewhere my uncle was a chartered accountant. He said that there's a, a good uh, future. So I said, that's
0: all. So, so you're just like uh, all those good Indian kids who just followed the advice and uh, took the uh, uh, option that was told by the elders. Oh, now, yeah. Mr So but which one which uh, which role have you found the most uh, let's say intellectually satisfying, if I was to ask you that?
1: Macroeconomics, no doubt about it. It's it's the mother of all sciences, humanities, call whatever. It's, it's something that touches every Indian, every person in this planet, or probably every living being in this planet and um, getting your macroeconomics right uh, in terms of policy formulation is probably the biggest uh, challenge that uh, mankind has ever faced. It's a challenge in a positive sense, not in the negative sense. So I'd love to go to the grave where somebody writes it on the tombstone, stating that here lies a great economist.
0: Awesome. Awesome. So, now let's get into the book, MRV. I have this fixed question every time I discuss a book as a rule. So, why did you decide to write this book? In fact, it is there in the preface. In fact, the first,
1: uh, you have read it probably. Actually, uh, a book doesn't come on a spur of a moment, though uh, colorfully it is portrayed that it came in a spur of a moment or a particular trigger it was boiling in me to see that a good amount of issues that go on to define the subject of macroeconomics is not in, is not taught in schools or colleges uh, what is taught in uh, uh, economic uh, as economics in college and school is basically theoretical framework not the practical one probably your grandmother understands more of macroeconomics than say that theoretical macroeconomists from say the best of colleges And uh, uh, this was burning in me. But uh, uh, one question I used to ask uh, and ask repeatedly to myself was, how is it that the family, culture, civilization, restraints, uh, fads, beliefs, all these influence economic decisions? For example, uh, it would be true in most part of the country that if I were to visit you or you were to visit my house, uh, however much uh, you may be impoverished that day, you would come at least with some hand measure of flowers, yeah, mitai, biscuit, some chocolate, something that would uh, be brought to your house uh, if I were to come in. Likewise, if you were to come in, you would come with some sweets, something. Hands. You go to a temple, we buy at least a hand measure of flowers, tulsi mala, kuch na kuch we don't understand the aggregate impact of all these small things on the economics. We don't don't even realize how much is our civilization impacting economics. The way we we dress, the way we celebrate. For example, last month we celebrated, 15 days back, we celebrated Pongal here. Right? The Pongal is a very big festival you know beginning december 15th into the run-up till uh, january 15th corresponding to the month previous to the month of thai a huge expenditure were incurred by people buying clothes buying so many things because thai is supposed to be the auspicious month once uh, Uttarayan starts now all these things triggers economics have you ever heard any any finance minister, any economy saying that these are the triggers of our economics. Diwali makes people spend, uh, people buy. When you buy, that means it's my income. Please understand. it's Your, your expenditure is my income. And that is why India is recession proof. You, you, you Our growth rate may go to 3%, it may go to 8%. But we have not stagnated. And we must thank our civilization, our family, our culture. So I used to always wonder, where is it that the missing link is? So till I got one book of 10 great economists and um, at the airport, I thought, uh, let me look at what they have said about uh, family and civilization and culture. And the book was dedicated to the family members of the author. But strangely, after which there is no mention of the word family in the entire book. So So you see the Western idea of family, Western idea of civilization and culture is not related to family in the... True and technical sense of the word family and culture in the Indian context, but we adopt the economics of the West and and try to do a, a artificial surgery on ourselves and try to see that we are genetically modified Goras, which we are not. We we run our economy runs in its own way. It, it, it has its own strength. It has its own weaknesses. But you cannot implant the theories of the West into us. So the book is all about civilizational economics, understanding it and understanding the impact of civilization and how Western idea of, of uh, market driven or state driven, both are not working in the Indian context. And we need to figure out what could be the alternative context. So this is the book that I have uh, thought that this was not there in the
0: public discourse. I thought, let me push it and let me see where it goes to me. All right. So in, in your book, you uh, you have focused on like you begin with the premise that human beings are central to economics, right? That, that's where you start the book with but the three main arguments that you have presented in the book and if you can correct me if i'm wrong the first one is uh monogamy you you place a lot of time on explaining monogamy and how monogamy has built and why if i was to use a technical term it's an evolutionarily stable strategy it leads to better results over a period of time right if, if i'm just summarizing what you're trying to say yeah, sure. the second was uh the relationship between the 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 family as a unit and how the family as a unit is uh, central to a stable economic system that was point number 2 that i got which is a uh, follow up of uh, monogamy and the third was uh, how the the balance between if i if i was to say uh, responsible duties and uh, rights. Uh, these were the three basic structures that I I found out that were the flow of your book, or or have I misunderstood it?
1: No, it, it, these are the broad themes which you have probably highlighted, and uh, I, I there are in the in, in fact the first few pages I would have said lot of uh, connect between the man and the woman, society and the individual. There are several layers, but broadly yes, you can summarize the theme as you have done wonderfully well. So the issue that I, I found out is now, if I have to talk about family, I have to first define what is a family. Now, that took me to a very fundamental question is that when did we hemo- evolve from animals to human beings? What is the cutoff date in the history of uh, mankind or did, when did mankind really be- begin? And uh, that that was one of the missing pieces in the entire thought process. As I was uh, uh, discussing this idea about this book, several probably a decade or so, then I realized that the most important thing is when you develop the idea of family, and family means only monogamous family, because by and large, most of the animals are having an alpha male, and they take multiple females, and and the 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 animal life goes on. But somewhere down the line, our forefathers decided that this is not working well. And they said, let us move to a far uh, bigger uh, game plan. Because biologically, one boy is delivered for every girl. And or or something around 105 boys for 100 girls. In the marriage market, you can't have one boy taking four girls, five girls, six girls. Then what will happen to the balance three, four, five uh, boys? They will be left without a lady for marriage. That skews the entire marriage market. And, and in my theory, they, they are the fertile uh, product for uh, jihadic uh, terrorism. They, they, they are the fodder uh, for uh, terrorist activity, criminal activity. And I have supported it with uh, a wide range of literature available in, in the higher uh, criminology studies, uh, uh, beginning from something in Canada to various other uh, groups. That I have quoted in my book to say that listen, all all of these guys are turning violent, primarily because they are not tethered to the idea of family. So principally, I would say that a man for a woman, a woman for a man, in the sense, in let me let me break into Tamil for this, and uh, I would crave the indulgence of your uh, audience. In the sense a man for a woman typifies a Tamil culture. If you say what is so great about Tamil culture? you know, Define Tamil culture in one line. Just one line. We say Urvanukavarti, which is the title of this same book in Tamil. So Urvanukavarti is what we pride about. And I'm sure it would be the pride in Kannada, it would be a pride in Maharashtra, Bengal, Punjab, wherever you go. Indian culture we say is a uniform one. What is that uniform culture? That culture predominantly talks about a man for a lady. And if you want to go further religious, you say Maryada Purushottam Ram is the civilizational god who exemplified this idea of a man for a woman. And that's how the whole civilizational god comes into being. So the point here is that a man for a woman reduced sexual competition within our forefathers. And that unleashed a lot of uh, free time. And those free time allowed our forefathers to indulge in science, in technology, in art. Otherwise, they would be predating on on a harem, uh, where an alpha male dominated uh, a few females and tried to knock off the male, and and for a basic biological need. So, uh, so this ensured that the sexual temperature in the society was brought down. Any sexual uh, temperature. Uh, you talk about uh, environmental temperatures, you know, it's become hot. Uh, sexual temperatures in a society is very important. And that I thought was very important in bringing down this this uh, arrangement of monogamy, Kurthi, or a man for a woman, ensured we, we were not uh, competing on something which we need not compete and used our focus energies on far more important things. That is where I believe we evolved. Uh, somewhere down the line we began evolving as uh, human beings is when when this was uh, legitimized accepted by the society
0: so so when would do you think is the period when uh, monogamy was legitimized in our society i'm not talking about the global uh, global society because i find interesting instances like in the case of Shri ram obviously uh he was in a monogamous relationship but his father was not uh, king dashrath was not uh, it is quite obvious in the ramayana uh, it's the same is in the Ma- mahabharata which are the two great itihasa exactly. it you do find, yeah so exactly so yeah so how do you uh, reconcile um, those uh, those realities also in that sense see see uh, typical of hindu society we laid the benchmark and left it to
1: each individual to follow. And that is why you never find Dasharatha as your role model. Dashrat was a great king. Dashrata was phenomenal. But Rama was, Ram Rajya and Rama Maryada Purushottam Ram is your civilizational god. It is not that you, you, you try to say that, uh, you know, uh, just because he was not in a monogamous relationship, Dashrata is not worshipped. No, Dashrata is respected. But who is worshipped? The worship uh, you worship Lord Rama because he brings in a sort of a value system that has sustained over several thousand years. That is why mariada Purushottandra. and that is why we have left it to each individual. We see we, ours is not an Abrahamic faith. We say strict do's and don'ts. We are we are absolutely liberal. Even now you are allowed <laughs> on this. Life, of course. The Hindu law may not uh, permit you, but of course, you can convert and uh, practice monogamy, uh, polygamy. Uh, but but uh, my view is very simple, that this is the strength and weakness of the Hindu society, that you have held a benchmark and left it as a matter between you and your conscience to practice.
0: So in that sense, like uh, in your book, you you say monogamous marriage taught us, the importance of civilizational restraints it is these restraints that make society stable and economies functional now uh, uh, so uh, so let me flip this around so what are the restrictions that a polygamous society puts in the real sense okay i get the uh, uh, people monogamous marriages create functional societies in the sense you have so uh, you you get better time value Yeah, to use uh, a quote uh, like uh, the the idea of Tupi and Puli who came up with uh, the time value as in uh, key. today progress is happening more and more is because people are achieving the same targets in lesser time. So do you think that's where monogamy also scores over uh, polygamy in that sense, are you saying?
1: Yeah, it 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 showed you that you can put yourself into productive use, uh, your time to greater productive use. And, how did, and it showed you the virtues of restraint. So it must be the, look at it around some thousand years, five thousand years ago, somewhere down the line, the alpha male gave his right. Alpha male gave up his right and said, look, I will not uh, pursue polygamy and I will be restrained and I will see to that, I will adhere to this code of conduct. Now he could have violated it, but he did not. But What happened as a consequence is several of his people started respecting him for putting a code and adhering to that code. And this gave what I call quote unquote the virtues of self-restraint. The virtues of self-restraint is the most powerful weapon that the mankind inadvertently realized. These are I don't know whether what followed what. It is very difficult to hypothesize and come about which was the cause and what was the effect. Probably self-restraint brought in monogamy or monogamy taught us the virtues of uh, self-restraint. I wouldn't know. But somewhere down the line, these all happened and people started looking at it from a very, very, uh, uh, I wouldn't say detailed or there was some great debate like what is happening between you and me right now. But people saw that there were some positive effects and that animal instinct in us took over and taught us that self-restraint leads you to greater development.
0: Okay, now now I want to focus on a very specific line in your book. You have said, all our economic policies are built on this premise of individual rights. Uh, such a constitutional arrangement may suit the British or for that matter, the Americans even today, but cannot be thrust on a nation which has deep rooted civilizational values, especially on individual duties. Now, what has, uh, if you don't mind me asking, what has economics got to do with this? Okay.
1: Now as I said uh, to uh, and I answered your first question wherein I said that look we are not Indians in the true sense. We are Bharatiyas in most of our uh, dealings and understanding of ourselves. We suffer from what I call as um, multiple personality disorder, MPD. We are uh, Indians only when we deal with the state and we are Functional as a Bharatiya, even today, substantial part of it of our country are Bharatiya's, which means we are rooted to our consciousness of duty. Now, Kushal, you come from a totally different uh, state, probably 2000 kilometers from where I stay. Now, what would be the unifying factor between your culture and my culture? Europe means if we were in Europe, there would be at least six, seven countries between us. This is India, which is within a geography, not only within a geography, within a nation. And in the nation, your values and my value system more or less corresponds. I won't say it is uh, uh, homogeneous, but it is almost approximates to the other. Now, in this, I would only quote one shloka, which I have quoted in my book also. You can come to my state, say this. 99% 99% of the people will understand i can come to your state and quote it 99% of the people will understand why because we are a society rooted to dharma and in dharma we believe as i said the self restraint and self restraint meant also the consciousness of our own duty of our own our own uh, responsibilities of what we need to uh, do for others nothing there is no law that i should take care of my aged father Technically, I can kick him out, nobody will ask. Technically, you can kick out your old mother, nobody will ask. But do we ever, in, in the sense, do we ever realize age of 60 and above, people in our uh, in our society and system, though may not be economically productive, we revere and we ensure that they are, they are respected and they are taken care by us. If this were to be shifted to the state, At least today we have 8 crore people who are above 75. 8 crore people in this country. Now what would be the budget to take care of them at 30,000 rupees per month? And what would be the fiscal deficit after that? Now who takes care of that? Okay, I may be well off, I may take care, so I can't say this. But even the most, uh, uh, the the basic uh, state of the society, Takes care of their elders. So what has this got to do with the constitution? The constitution talks about fundamental rights in part 3. Has it ever appreciated that there is a civilization values called fundamental duties? Has it ever decided that you carry on your duties and you carry on your your, uh, social responsibilities? The way you carry out is a Bharatiya, Bharatiya tradition. The constitution doesn't even cognize about it. So we, we are like that uh, onion in that movie where we when we deal with the state, we instantly become uh, Indians. We talk about rights. a But when we deal with our parents, when our friends, when our relatives, when our brothers, sisters, sons, children, we all become uh, what I call as Bharatiya's. We shoulder the responsibility without even realizing that we are doing an economic activity. Every time we take care of them, we are doing an economic activity. We we feed them, we take them, we clothe them, we educate them. All this is not done by the state. That would be the the contrasting principle is what uh, the, the socialist, communist idea that Plato and others have taught us or thought, uh, thought about, which has failed world over.
0: So uh, so if I was to, again, I, I want to be very precise in me explaining what you're trying to say here is that um, where do you think has this uh, phenomenon of, uh, if I was to say, this increasing size of the state? when it comes to all these ideas uh, come from why did they happen like in your book you you explain communism in one chapter and then you explain the problem with market driven uh, policies too so maybe we can base it here then but uh, because uh, like if i was to give you an example right let's say a country like italy I think Italy has very similar culture to us too. Europe has many, even Western Europe has many nations where the family is very central to their core idea in that sense. In fact, even in the United States of America, if you go into the conservative belt, there the family is a very central core to their idea. They're fierce individualists, but they also have the concept of family and community. So, So where do you draw the line in that sense is what I'm trying to get at. Okay,
1: there is no precise mathematical formula. You can't say A plus B the whole square is equal to some blah, 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 blah. You have to actually come about feeling the stones and crossing the river. You can't say Pushal will feel the stone and MRV will cross the river. In the sense, what is uh, the same West and same America, I have quoted uh, the report of uh, that uh, Munihan Mohi- uh, in 1960s, who said I will uh, uh, ensure that the blacks are supported by the state and single mothers uh, are being supported look what has happened the complete uh, destruction of family in the black system blacks in fact the chapter two you would be surprised that this title mummy what is a daddy (laughs) that's that's what it is in the west so yeah there is even though the white are predominantly very clear that they have to maintain family structure and, and uh, they, 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 they believe, the Republican Party in some sense believes that family structure is wider. And in fact, I have even gone about comparing the Calvinist spirit uh, of the Americans and uh, how Takuveli talks about it. And I have dealt with that in fairly elaborate detail. But Americans are also ruining the fact that today that the lack of restraint on families is what makes people greedy. And that's how 2008 financial cra- crash happened. And without the restraint of a family, you know, you, you suddenly become that you are a car with only an accelerator without a brake. And inevitably, that type of mechanism, that type of a contraption ends up with an accident. So your family is the brake. Your family is also an accelerator. It propels you. It also weighs you down at times. It It's a type of a piston that works constantly 24 by 7. And that is what the micro balancing in a family allows a macroeconomic balance. You cannot have a macroeconomic balance with a society which is not working, or it is too lazy to work, or it is only functional and everybody becomes a stock market and becomes a gambler and a speculator. Doesn't work like that. Your family will take a risk appetite and say that bacha tero. Wait, 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 wait. Don't, don't hurry. Things will happen, and that is what ensures. The sustainability of a market. Markets are not bad. I am not against the markets. I am against the markets without the, uh, the the what shall I say the effect of family or shall I say the the sagacious advice of the elders where you are tempered and to act. Yeah, nobody nobody stops you from making money. Everybody wants you to make money, but also tempers you, cools you down. And if you are not cool, the market is not cool.
0: Now, this is the key question, because this is something that constantly I was asking myself when I was reading your book, that how do we temper this? In what sense do we temper this? Because culture is something where um, how, like, you can't legislate it beyond a certain point. So how does one draw that balance? Because uh, like the whole idea of Duties, right? You, basically, it stems from a duty idea. Like, how do we legislate duties, right? that That's where I was wondering that, do you have a point? Yes, you do. That a stable family, a stable economy, in fact, uh, in the African American culture in America, even Thomas Sowell has written about it, how uh, left wing politics destroyed the African American family. That's actually a fact Thomas Sowell wrote uh, extensively about it in his in his work and how uh, before 1960s actually African American single parenthood rates were much lower and they increased later on these are all facts and uh, Seoul has laid down those facts in his work but the point is how do we then solve this problem if culture is such a key ingredient so I mean how does one uh, draw that fine line then because okay. that's something I could not understand
1: Okay. Now, why don't you recognize something like this? What uh, the Mexicans have done, which I've quoted in my book as the responsibility and duty of the parents to ensure that they educate the child. Instead, what we have said it is right to education is a fundamental right. And we have inserted an article 14 capitally. Now, why should we do this? When you have got a child, two adults coming together and get a child. The duty must be on them to see that their child is educated up to standard 12. Ba- basic. State can take over after that. I, I'm not saying that state should not do State can take after that. But basic education up to standard 12 must be made uh, made your responsibility of parents. If you can get biologically ensure that you get a child, you also ensure take the responsibility of, uh, of, of uh, educating the child. Now, these are live examples. These have happened. Now, how do you legislate You need not legislate everything. You can encourage everything. Now how do you encourage? Probably you say that up to rupees 1 lakh of deduction, proviso, whatever, 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 to your uh, basic income tax plus these deductions on educating your child. You can encourage it by these processes that yes, you will put this money onto schools, onto colleges. Yes, you will get a basic deduction. I, I, you can have n number of things that you are trying to do. Now, basic deduction that you are trying to give in your income tax is just peanuts to take care of your in a family of four or five uh, where two adults or three adults are there with two children. In the modern day context, you are invariably keeping people in below the poverty line or what you hypothetically call as the middle class line. You, you draw the line fairly high up and say that up to 20 lakhs. I will not tax you. This this is a very simple thing. I am not one who takes an extreme rightist position and says abolish income tax. No. You give the, the, the rights to people to take care of their family by not interfering in their family, by taking the money out of the family and saying that I will do this, yojana, that yojana. And remember all yojanas are bojanas for somebody. So this this is not uh, helping people. You put the money back in the hands of the people. Make them responsible for where where they spend. If they are going to buy bitcoins and be pauperized, so be it. You you, you are nobody to say. If they buy liquor and uh, get ruined, so be it. But don't say that I have got all the magic wand. I will take the money from you. Spend from uh, Kunal's pocket. uh, Take the money from Kunal's pocket and spend on MRV's uh, needs. Who are you to do that? I am saying that have it at 20 lakhs. Some big threshold so that individuals are free. So, this will give a big flip to the Indians idea of duties. This this will work in India. This is something that will be germane to India. This will work in India. Please understand. Let me let me tell you, Kushal, something very interesting. There is a section called AD capital G. This uh, year it underwent a minor... Uh, Political amendment. I will call it a political amendment rather than a fiscal amendment. Okay. Now, uh, I don't want to get into that. But this 10% of your total income is exempt provided you give charities. Are subject to certain conditions. Blah, 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 blah. Now, supposing you donate 100% of your income. It is still capped at 10%. Why is it that it is capped at 10 percent? Because the 1961 Act says it is 19 uh, follows the 1917 uh, Act or something. Then why does the that Act says that it should be 10 percent? Because the British say so. Why does the British Act say so? Because under the Christian law, 10 percent of donation has to be given of your total income to be a true Christian. Now you can trace your entire responsibility to being limited to 10 percent because that satisfies the Christian law. You are not satisfied. In fact, there are several people who want to donate much, much more on these type of things. And many of us do, but we do after paying taxes also. So what I'm saying is that you, you still have all these checks and balances. You can give some incentive. You can tweak this uh, laws. You can still make it India-centric rather than British-centric or American-centric or French-centric.
0: All right so if if i was to understand the incentivization of even if we have say welfare programs which is basically an incentivization in some sense or the other or encouraging people let's say so you know in a, for example japan has this uh long standing uh, movement where they encourage their citizenry to have babies and they they support the state supports you when you tend to have babies in multiple ways for example it is based on uh a certain conception of uh, how a society should be. So what uh, if I'm understanding you right, what you're saying is that when you legislate, it should be based on your own cultural sensibil- sensibilities, not the sensibilities of the United States of America. Have I gotten it right? Not only United States. In fact, the entire my next book, which is coming out, which I'm penning right now, which is Discovery
1: of Bharat, is on the challenge that the entire constitution was under the influence of the Western Christian uh, thoughts and beliefs. It has nothing to do with India, Indian civilization, Hindu civilization, Indic uh, ideas, policies, programs. It is completely deracinated, dry as a dust, uh, Christendom subject. So, uh, my view is that, yes, we should make the laws. It is not that we should close down all laws. We should have laws. But this should encourage Indic, Indian Renaissance, Indian civilization. That is why we fought for uh, your uh, independence. We did not get independence to have British laws and American uh, uh, ideas flowing through our uh, uh, jurisprudence.
0: Achha, but I want to ask, so how is your idea? At, uh, look, it when I was listening to you, it sounds a lot like, let's say something, I'm not saying a hardcore anarcho-capitalist, but even a, uh, you know, a, a, a lapsed libertarian or a person who is slightly libertarian would also say, you know, at the end of the day, People should be left alone. The government should not be involved in many activities. So how is the libertarian concept then different from this?
1: The libertarian concept finally interferes in your bedroom. Now, I will say this. You say on one hand, you have a right to privacy, which is your fundamental right. Right? The same day, the same breath, the High Court of uh, Delhi, I think, is debating whether there is a marital rape, is a rape or not. Now, how do you reconcile this two? And where do you draw the line of being a libertarian or not being a libertarian? Now, the question is that you should have an underlying philosophy. The man and the woman knows best for their family. The man and the woman would do what it takes for rearing up their child. You assist them with tax incentives. You give them tax breaks. You, you be like an emergency lamp, sit back and watch them growing up. You step in only when the family breaks. But today you step in to break the family. You are Your you uh, laws are created at every stage that you would try to interfere in every single person's uh, every endeavor in life. I would like to say the constitution must be remade Assuming that it must be a minimalistic state. It must not be an omnipotent, omnipresent, omniscient state. And this idea that we are to have a very large interfering state comes from uh, Thomas Hobbes and others who say in Leviathan that look, here is a bunch of brutes, bunch of people who would not be in any position to mind their own business. And we need an external force and that external force is the state. In fact, the entire Christendom, you take Karl Marx, you take uh, uh, Richard Dawkins, you take uh, Thomas Smith, uh, Adam Smith, sorry. Uh, then you take uh, anybody, Thomas Hobbes, anybody. They always talk about an external agent. And they talk about an external agent because man is born sinner according to Christian beliefs. And only you, you, you may be born... Uh, You may be the Pope, but unless you are redeemed by Christ, Kushal, you cannot be having the salvation. In fact, it is exactly the opposite here. It is only through the realization of self, you elevate yourself. So it is a contrasting civilizational values that is being present. One is born sinner and another is one where the self looks at redemption. And this is the clash of ideas which has permeated in the entire branch of humanities, all over. So we have made our constitution which is basically one that dwells on this idea of christendom that you are bad, you require omnipotent omniscient state and that state will what will deliver, so it will do whatever it takes. It will enter your bedroom, it will be there for the Guardians Act, it will be there for divorces, it will be for marriages, it will even come and talk about constitutional morality as to how a ritual should be conducted in a particular temple, whether a woman should enter, woman should not enter. I, I, there must be a limit to where the state is. And you call this a libertarian constitution, and you are entered in every damn sphere of my life. And in oh, I process, I
0: don't think the Indian one is libertarian. I agree with you.
1: No, no, world over, you world over, they may they may see world over. You should never compare because we are one sixth of humanity and we have our own sensibilities. But having said this, I am saying that we have modelled ourselves significantly on the West, and the ideas of the Constitution are borrowed significantly from the West. And that hmm. West is not a Westless a civilization; it is Christian term in action.
0: Hmm now again it all comes down to i i want to read this uh excerpt from your book where you say more importantly responsibility is the bedrock of discipline be it at the individual the national or the international level when a society is built purely on individual rights as the american society has been it encourages indiscipline oddly this is called progressive economics by the left and their partners in perfidy the liberals of course individual rights have a place in a society but cannot be paramount, nor can it be absolute. We need to set the precise balance between individual rights and duties. Now, this is where MRV, a person like me, would start getting alarm bells. Like, what duties? Like, what if I don't agree on those duties? Will the state force me to do those duties? No, no, would you worry? So, so, did,
1: did, did, was
0: your, no, one minute. Was your concern taken on f- fundamental rights?
1: Did you agree on all the fundamental rights?
0: Uh, I mean, defense on. on
1: vi- no, no. no. You have to be very, it's a binary question. Yes or no?
0: Well, life, liberty and but happiness. Yes or no. These are the three not
1: fundamental yes or things. No. That... You cannot add caveats. Yes or no? Do you agree with all the fundamental rights in the constitution? Yes or no? No, not all. Thank you very much. I don't also agree. But there is a larger consensus that is being built. Please understand, there is no effort to build a consensus on duties. Like I said why don't we say every individual who gets married after 18 years must educate the child should there not be a consensus on this
0: well yeah, it depends on how you define educating their children no you can have now you are adding caveats now you say
1: that okay up to 6th standard you may say 8th standard somebody may say 12th standard that's a matter of uh, you know aligning your policy but don't you think you have got a child and is it not your responsibility to bring up and educate it, educate him or her Basic question.
0: Definitely. Yeah. That's the point. Again, educating. When we we talk about educating, we should. We should. Yeah. But where is the debate even
1: on this? Now we have started a debate that whether it is six standard or eight standard, my job is done.
0: My job is done. The moment. Sorry, please go ahead. No, no, so what I was saying is I actually agree with you on the duties, but the only place where I get jittery is when the state tells me to do it. Uh, any functioning society, like to say, like I, I don't see individualism bleeding in discipline. I, I mean, we've all traveled, I've lived in the West. I don't see that society as an indisciplined society, to be very honest. I on I economics. personally don't see okay, on economics, I, I get it. Let's see you your uh, our our understanding of
1: the west predominantly is from the idea of uh, the whites and the successful whites have you ever taken into account what is it to be a black in america i have written about it in great detail in chapter 2 and i i, I and i have taken i have taken a dipstick survey in the sense i cannot be writing about this book is not about blacks in america the mm. discipline once it is lost it has tended. I think they have spent 22 trillion dollars in the last 60 years in ensuring black, uh, uh, shall I say, some welfare schemes for the blacks. 22 trillion dollars, and what has happened? Black families are broken, and they are they are becoming a huge burden on the West. Now, what has it happened? The fa- in the sense, I, I have I have even quoted one school in Massachusetts where uh, high school children. Uh, were going to the neighborhood uh, primary health uh, center to test for whether they were pregnant or not. High school, age 14-15. Now, uh, the director, I think, called up the principal and said, look, there is a huge amount of guys, girls coming in, which is more than normal. Please see what is happening. And believe me, in that school, there was a condom vending machine. Okay. 10 standard, 9 standard students having a condom machine going more to the neighborhood uh, health center for pregnancy tests. Alarm bells were rung. Parents were called in. A, an investigation found out that there was a pregnancy pact among girls students to see who gets pregnant first. Now Kushal, answer this question. The best of metros may ye kya ho sakta in india mein? Shayad ho ra hoga. ho ra hoga. But you cannot have this as a benchmark. It may be an exception. It may be something that you would not thump up your chest and say, my girl has got pregnant today. Congratulations. I don't know who the father of that boy is. Nobody will say this. Okay. Why? Because we believe that our value systems are more uh, calibrated and judged by our neighbors rather than by ourselves. Because we value the society more than ourselves. Whereas in America, if the girl were even questioned by the father or the mother, she would dial 911 and say parental coercion on me and the father and mother would get arrested. Now see how effectively a state has interfered in the family functioning and it is destroying the family. This is one example I have laid out in, in my book. I have dealt with this subject very heavily. And this was my article in Rediff probably in 2008 or 9. as soon as this uh, came to public knowledge. Now, Why I am saying this is that the state has definitely a role. State is not something that you don't have to do but there is also a duty function which probably as I said doesn't lend itself into mathematical formulations or probably does not satisfy the the keen thinker that you are but you will see that there is also a vacuum in several grey areas which is to be mapped discussed, probably I don't have an answer. That is why you, in fact, several times people ask me, why the cover of the book is fuzzy? It is not crystal clear or it is not. I said certain times my vision is not clear. That is why the Natraja is so blurred. <laughs> that, that you don't have a precise answer. You, let me confess on that, that. We don't have an answer for this. But doesn't mean that the question is wrong. Sometimes just because you don't have an answer, you can't blame the question. The question is, do we need to figure out duties, Should we legislate or should we encourage? The answer is probably yes. The first part and second part encourage. Yes, definitely we should. How we should do it? Yes, it may require several brainstorming sessions, rewriting the constitution, reworking on several legislations, come back and and give a fillip. But to say that we don't want to do it because it's a difficult task is something that I'm not able to agree
0: Two more things I want to talk to you about before I let go of you. I'm conscious of the time. But uh, there was a bit about UBI, Universal Basic Income that you talk about. Can you speak on that? I found that very interesting in the book. Now,
1: that was a subject that was quoted by, uh, I think in 2017 economic survey. Uh, Arvind Subramniam quotes this and says that we should bring in a Global negative tax in the sense every Indian will be credited with 5000 rupees or 6000 rupees some money that that was found impractical. That is how they brought this Kisan scheme of paying 6000 rupees per Kisan every year 2000 rupees three times over per year. Now the same article quotes Mahatma Gandhi. Uh, same economic survey chapter, rather not the article, uh, the chapter in economic survey, quotes the, uh, quotes Mahatma Gandhi and Mahatma Gandhi himself says that, look, I don't wish that people should be given free, free of anything. And today, you know what, Kushal, thanks to this uh, COVID, we were able to watch several courts functioning. And courts have suddenly thought that this is a welfare state which is distinct from a state which should do welfare for the people. And welfare state means anybody can come and take whatever. And if they don't take, it is the duty of the state to take the money and give it to the person. And in one session, one of the judges said that even if a man who is supinely indifferent to himself and just sleeps entire day and counts the stars during the night, it is incumbent on the state to feed him three times over a day. Pushal, this is frightening because constitutionally if you see that the arguments are perfect because the man has no duties to himself. Forget about his children or to his wife or to his parents. We are talking about esoteric subjects. To himself the constitution says there is no duty. It is a duty of the state to feed him three times over. Now think Who will will feed him? Actually it is Kushal's taxes and MRV's taxes that go about to feed him. And a country which will go on feed these type of people will not be a country which will be the type of Vishwaguru that we are conjuring or or imagining. Rather we will be a a state that will be only feeding the vast amount of population which will be encouraged. And I am sorry to say this. State governments after state government, central government after central government, why with each other to see to that, that they feed these type of people. And in fact, Kushal, you will know that I have quoted the Aesop's in the story about the ant and the grasshopper, which I have tweaked. And I said the ant <laughs> ant works all over the summer. And, uh, you know, it's feeding itself during winter. whereas the gas, grasshopper is found uh, grasping for breath during winter because it doesn't have food. So you will have some channels going and saying that, look, grasshopper is doing, you know, shivering. Ant is eating. Nation wants to know why. And immediately there will be huge and cry in the parliament. And nobody cared when the grasshopper was dancing during summer. And then there will be a session on on, uh, GST or on income tax and say that uh, grasshopper program Yojana declared at 8pm. And you will have... And who will be the bearer of this uh, whole nonsense? It is the ant. And I quoted it and said, successive generations of ants finding it too difficult that they will quit this country and in search of a, a pasture where they are not taxed for the sins of others. You tax me for myself, I have no problem. In fact, there was one of those gentlemen who said that Norway, Sweden and others, Norwegian countries, uh, have uh, the Scandinavian countries having a higher amount of taxes and survey because they return back the taxes. In India, once upon a time, they said you pay taxes for good roads, good education, good airports, good ports. That is how I was brought up. But Abhi Sab Kenya Boltay private Kardia tall well tall though, road gunaying. Pani Kelia to me dodo. Road airport to Usko Deia, Porttou private Kardia. Then what the hell are you doing with my taxes? Taxes are worth what? And taxes are the price that we have paid for civilization. This is what it has been written in IRS in America. And no civilization has ever progressed by taxing its people. We are, we are, we must be very
0: conscious as to what should be the right size of taxes. Yeah, I I have to read this line actually. I I love this line in your book. You, You basically say in the end there is nothing compassionate about welfare. It is robbing ant to pay grasshopper. This cradle to grave welfare program guaranteed by the government has pushed the fiscal position of several nations into the precipice. Democracy adds fat to the fire as it becomes a continuous race to the bottom as political parties compete with each other, with the other to provide more doles to the other. how can any nation survive when a good number of its citizens are hooked onto various government doles and freebies? How can a nation have civilizational aspirations when citizens no longer have the incentive to restrain the growth of government? I think these were beautiful lines. I, I thoroughly enjoyed reading them and I had highlighted them. Now I want to end. So the last 10 minutes I want to spend on, I think, where there is, I, I in fact, I myself have felt this, that I remember talking to my elder brother once and I was like, we are also materialistic in India. Like, for goodness sakes, I'm Charvak. We are also hedonistic in India. But I think the greatest contribution, and you do mention this in your book very succinctly, in a in, in a lo- in a large section in the latter half of your book, <clears throat> you know, chapter five, six ke baad se, where you talk about the Dharma Artha Kama matrix. I am calling it a matrix. That uh, because moksha is not related to current economics. So and, and you have correctly removed moksha from. It. You've only talked spoken about dharma, artha, and kama, where you say, "Ha, paisa kamana chihye, Ha, ye bhi karna chihye, Ha, pleasures bhi enjoy karne chihye, magar, <laughs> it it basically is uh, eternally connected to what your book is called right retaining balance and, and i think this is where our economic model in that sense could be different from let's say the communist model or the or the classical liberal model uh, of of what is we are uh, known today so now let us talk about this so what are you exactly trying to say over here Kusha, let me be, i was very polite for the first 50 minutes now
1: let me uh... Say something very brutally. Uh, what I believe is the truth. We have been celebrating poverty for the last hundred years because of yeah. Gandhian yeah. influence. We we somehow or the other believed that our way to prosperity was to indulge in lavish poverty. Okay, and that is because of Gandhi, and Gandhi taught us that there is a virtue in being poor. And look at this problem. The two most important influential thinkers of modern India, independence and post-independence, Gandhi and Nehru. Gandhi believed in profit but not in technology. Nehru believed in technology but not in profits. Now, this is a huge paradox that confused our average Indian. So, he neither believed in technology nor in profits. And this, (laughs) so it was the easiest thing that has happened for a civilization that venerated Lakshmi for civilizationally we venerated Lakshmi. And we always had Lakshmi and Saraswati. Lakshmi was the practical framework and Saraswati was a theoretical framework and one was never above the other. Both were very important. The theory was as important as the practice. Practice was as important as the theory. Now, Somewhere down the line, somewhere down the line, we have conflated all these things, and we have we have found virtues in poverty because that that I am I don't want to do my duty. I have got a right. I will I will thump my chest. I will see Raj Kapoor's movies where he uh, exudes confidence on statism and and you know the tramp quality that he used to always bring it about, and we celebrated these things, but. Simultaneously, you see the villains in the sixties and seventies. They were all rich people, and where they were smugglers, and their daughter was the only girl who never knew her father was a smuggler, and she would be romancing with the hero. Now times did bring about that you said that you cannot be rich in this country. Now we are realizing, and we are realizing to our uh, I think I, it is no nobody's credit, but as a civilization, we are we are realizing that there is something called prosperity. And that prosperity is vital to sustain our dharma. And dharma is vital to our our, uh, existence as a civilization. So we have now embarked on what I call as a collective journey. And in this I see there will be prosperous individuals who will be doing it by doing their duty. And that duty could be like, temple renaissance or that could be a, a, a renaissance of an educational institution. All these are already happening but this is going to increase multifold in this country because we have reached a threshold wherein each individual now believes that his artha is now stable. His personal artha is now stable and that we have crossed because we have crossed on 3 trillion dollars of size in the economy. Probably in the next few years we will be crossing 4, four and a half, five. At that, this is the time where I see that individuals will believe that our system of maintaining family, joint family is so important to us that would make us so productive and economically competitive to the rest of the world that the world will start looking at our economic model. Believe me, this is going to happen. But unfortunately, we don't have a theoretical framework. We don't have scholars. We don't have people. We don't have universities, societies uh talking about this we don't have indian economic model kya hai? nobody knows what it is indian economic model can you write a few hundred words on ec- indian economic model india, india growing growing economy developing economy Itne, isse baad, uh, we stop at that but we are an economy which has an inbuilt productive and a cutting edge to defeat the rest of the world thanks to our family system believe me this is going to be the mantra the world is going to follow and say probably whenever it's going to uh, awake and arise. But today we have this functional model and we are going to be the model for the rest of the world. It is not that we are going to be Vishwaguru just like that. If we have to be a Vishwaguru, we have to stand on our legs, demonstrate that we are successful. Why we are successful? Because we have civilization, cultural values. And what are these? These are time-tested ones, beginning from monogamy, beginning from family values, beginning from duties, beginning from having an residual state, which is what I argue, and not an omnipotent state. We have a residual state and the residual state only comes in when it's like an emergency lamp. It doesn't work on all times, but it comes. It comes whenever there is a failure, puts things in order and then goes away. And that is what is required in the Indian context. Not this model of omnipotent, omniscient state that we have uh, drawn about. I think it's time to redraw the constitution. relook look at the uh, word called socialism. In fact, we have concentrated too heavily on this word called secularism without understanding the damage socialism has done to our body polity. We need to get rid of this socialism and we also need to look at a macroeconomic framework which will reflect the civilizational value. And importantly, we must learn to celebrate prosperity.
0: Fair enough. Uh, Before before we wrap today's discussion, MRV, anything else you wanted to talk about? Any future projects you wanted to talk about? Yeah, writing this uh, book on...
1: Discovery of Bharat. Uh, so it will be not discovery of India as Pandit Nehru did. It will be discovery of Bharat. So <laughs> it is just, just basically beginning uh, on the uh, constitutional assembly debates. And uh, finding out how we lost ourselves. In fact, uh, till 1945-46, the clarion call or the pseudonym for uh, independence was Ramrajya. People mm-hmm. never said socialist, democratic uh, republic. Denge. People said we will give Denge. And when it came to writing the constitution, it became socialist, secular, democratic republic. So what did we lose in those two, three years? Uh, I think the um, question was posed to Mahatma Gandhi also. What is happening? A poor man, he had become politically irrelevant by 1945. And uh, uh, And Gandhiji was not even considered or consulted And great minds like Savarkar or Aurobindo or or many of those stalwarts of those times were not even participating in this uh, Constituent Assembly debate. And those who did were voicing their um, um, dissent in the most uh, uh, timid fashion. Consequently, we had a constitution which looked at uh, Ireland, at Britain, at America, at France, at Italy, at uh, various other countries, but I think there are 20 references. Of which ten were picked out. Ten countries were picked out, but Kushal, believe me, they did not look at places like how Uttara Meru conducted elections ten thousand years back. They did not consult Shanti Parva of Mahabharata, chapter eleven or twelve of Mahabharata, which deals with Shanti Parva, where um, uh, Bhishma lays in the bow, you know bed of arrows and gives the complete administration treaty. I would have I would have been happy, Kushal, if they looked into it and said this is all up. But they didn't even consider it. Is the biggest consternation that I have. So this book will probably be one which will be touching on all these aspects and deal with it.
0: Fantastic, fantastic, M R V. It is an absolute pleasure to talk to you. I thoroughly enjoyed your book. I, I think it makes you uh, it makes you question a lot of uh, underlying assumptions. I may not agree with all the premises, but I definitely thoroughly enjoyed uh, reading it. And uh, you know, kudos In fact, to, I would want to every... Kushal, I want everybody to disagree with me. That will fortify some <laughs> of my in the in the
1: sense dissent is the beginning of democracy.
0: Yeah, I I agree, and 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 I and I and and really enjoyed reading it. Like I finished it very fast. I started reading it. In fact, then I called Harsh also. When Harshkoi bola M R V ki book par, book, and Harsh is I think he bought it. He's starting to read it too. Because whenever I like something, I I uh, the Harsh is the first person. I call Harsh book if he's not read it. So it, it I do. thoroughly enjoyed it, and thank you very much. But before uh, we end today's podcast, guys. What I liked in MRV's book is, I think it is at least five or six times if my memory serves me correctly, he asks questions, sometimes a whole page of questions. Like, for example, over here, he says, who is to determine what is culture and its larger set civilization? More specifically, what are the crucial differentials between those who claim to be cultured and civil and those who are alleged to be not? Who is to arbitrate this divide? Are culture and civilization at best an idea based on certain religious or habitual preferences of a particular group? Is it homogenous or heterogeneous? Are plural thoughts and ideas possible within the broad prism of culture and civilization? What I loved about this book is MRV is right, which is why he kept the cover page hazy. He has many questions in this book. The aim of the book was not to just give you blatant answers from a man who says, oh, yeah, I figured it all. No, he has not. And he's humble enough to admit it, which is why he asked so many questions in the book. I would highly recommend all of you to read this book. When you go into the description of... uh, this video podcast or if you're listening to the audio version, I have left a link. So A, follow MRV on Twitter. His Twitter handle is also mentioned there. And also go and buy this book. I think this will make you think. You you may be a free marketer, a typical classical liberal free market guy, but I think it will make you question a few assumptions you have you don't have to agree with him but i think it's a beautifully written book it it is it is coming from a place of honesty and i thoroughly enjoyed reading it uh, and i hope you guys read it as far as i'm concerned please subscribe to my podcast uh whether on uh, the audio platforms or on video which is youtube also like this video comment dalo it helps If you can, this is a member-driven podcast. The strength of this podcast is its membership program. So please become a member either on Patreon or on YouTube or on Fanmo. Or you can send your donations to UPI directly or buy the podcast merchandise. I will see you guys next time. Until then, namaste. Take care. Bye.